Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast, a weekly roundtable discussion featuring a variety of automotive subjects, interviews, special guests, and stories, hosted by the Round 6 Gearheads, Brian Stupski, Alex Welsh, and Brad King. On episode 24, the Gearheads dig into the science of branding with action sports and automotive pioneer, TV producer, podcast host, and designer, Brad Fanshaw. Welcome to the Round 6 Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Brad. I'm Alex. And with us tonight is the host of the Shift and Steer and Man Seeks Adventure Podcasts, the one and only Brad Fanshaw. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Don't call me sir, though. It makes me feel like I'm so old. I well, mean, even though know. I am, you don't have to rub it in. No, we figured out you're 29, celebrating your, your 29th, 29th birthday. <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, no, I'm doing, I'm doing well, guys. I'm, uh, thanks for having me back. I know we tried this once before, but uh, second time's a charm, right? That's we, got better, we got better cans and string this time. See, it's a little more high tech. We're using a fishing line this time. Second dates are always better. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Just don't, it depends on well, the date. Well, don't yeah. fill me up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't do that. So, hey, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast tonight. <laughs> yeah, this guy won't put out, so no, that's it. Yeah. So. And to think, I was going to take you with me over to the Shrek 40 ride. I know. Yeah, I'm not going to give we, that we up. We talked either. about that. Your love of bugs and... But I just can't figure out, are you talking like VW bugs, or are you talking about the kind that like crawl between your toes at the beach? Ooh, well, let's, uh, how about we go with both? Who here's a bug guy? Are you guys into bugs? Yeah. VWs? First car was a bug. Yeah, I, I still have a special place for them. I never had one, and every once in a while I've wanted to build like the ultimate Baja bug, because I spent a summer in San Diego with a friend once on Car- Coronado Island, and at about midnight, he'd go. This guy's name was Rusty. He'd go, "Hey man, let's 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 go down to the beach." And I'd go, "Okay, what for?" And he goes, "You know, he goes, oh, there's this dude lives down at the other end, and he has this Baja bug. And about midnight, he drives it down onto the beach. And this was back, this was probably like 1984 when you could still get away with stuff like that. And and here was this badass Baja bug with Jackman wheels on it." And, and the guy just would be ripping up and down the beach, going into the water, going sideways, early form of drifting, you know. And then the next day we saw this car in the daylight. And it's one of those cars, you know, how they leave an impression on you. I mean, because it had like a grab handle for the passenger that had Oakley motorcycle grips on it, you know. And it was like, <laughs> it was just cool. It was just, it was cool. Big extractor pipe and everything. And, and that's that's the kind of stuff that gets gets you... When you remember it, your whole life, you kind of think, that thing left an impression. Yeah. yeah. That's bitch. So now you were about how old at that point? Uh, 29. 20. No. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're a vampire. Again. Okay. Again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have a painting up in my attic, and it, it ages. I don't. No. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I probably would have been about, gosh, um, 17 uh, about that time. Okay. And uh, so it was, um, you know, it was one of those where you just go, ah, that dude's got a cool car. I wish I could have something like that. 
So is that the first car that left that kind of an impression on you? Or did you have something maybe earlier in life that did that too? No, that was the, that was the first one on the beach in California that left an impression like that. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, uh, the first car I ever had, you know, I mean, you know, I'm a muscle car guy. And um, even though all my years at Boyd's and, you know, um, being around some of the most influential hot rods ever and like that, I'm still a muscle car guy at heart. And my very first car, my dad came home uh, when I was 15 years old. We were living in Omaha, Nebraska, and my dad came home. And he goes, hey, I've got a buddy who's got a car for sale. And he goes, I don't know if you'd be interested. And I know you've been saving up for something. And and uh, I go, oh, really? And, I, you know, dad comes home. It's not usually that exciting. You know, you figure, oh, it's going to be a, you know, a Valiant or, you know, something like that. And I go, and he goes, and he goes, um, he goes, I could take you over. I got to go over to Iowa and look, you know, go over and see him next week. And I go, well, what is it? And he goes, it's a Chevelle Supersport. That's about all he had to say. And I was there, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah. And so it was a 67 Chevelle Supersport oh. that uh, SS 396 car that somebody had ordered. And, and this guy was the second owner. So I'm the third owner of the car. And, um, the uh, the original guy who had ordered it, the only reason he ordered a Supersport was, and I got to talk to the original owner, and he told me, he goes, the only reason I ordered it was my wife and I wanted to tow a trailer, and it had a big motor in it. So this guy ordered a <laughs> SS396 car with a factory bench seat and a power glide, and it had, like, every option. It had, well, eh, I'm not going to say every option, because it didn't have, you know, uh air conditioning or anything like that but but it it, it was kind of optioned out and uh and and it was it was a great car in high school because that thing with the big block and the power glide it was it was fast you know drag race and stuff like that so that's kind of the one that you know and it stuck with me i still have it oh wow wow that's freaking awesome See. it's not that unusual if you know me i'm kind of a pack rat i don't get a whole rid of a whole lot of stuff so. <laughs> so did you keep the the power glide and the bench seat and all that stuff in there as well? Still got all that? Well, here's one of the reasons I still have it. There's two reasons I still have it. One is because when I was in high school, there was a guy who wanted to trade cars with me, and my dad wouldn't let me. His car was a black with black interior, 446 pack with a pistol grip shifter challenger. And mm. And the guy wanted to train, trade me straight up because mine was the fastest car at school. And, uh, and and my dad said, you're not trading your car. And I said, oh, come on, Dad. And he goes, nope. And uh, so otherwise I might have had that car today. So then um, I tried selling the car, and, um, and I kept racing. And then I started racing for money, and I realized, well, I'm making more money keeping the car. And, you know, out at the airport on Saturday nights racing – and uh, so I ended up keeping it. And the only reason I probably still have it today is because back in 19, um, probably about 83, 84, something like that, I was uh, in pro street mode. And I, uh, I, I took the body off the frame, built a body dolly, bought every part. And that's when I moved to California. And it sits in my building over in Arizona right now with every part to make it into a 1980s era pro street car 
brand new in the box and the body's on a dolly. And the joke with all my friends is that when you took that thing apart, it was a high mileage muscle car. Now it's a low mileage original, you know, because I've got all their factory parts too. And I never tubbed it. I, I, the, the aluminum tubs are sitting there next to it. The McCreary uh, grooved slicks and the weld wheels that are 15 by 15, all the gold Moroso valve covers, the, the, um, you know, the, the electric drive. I mean, everything Moroso and I'm talking every single part is brand new in the box sitting over there. And, um, and so, so now I'm glad I didn't do it cause I got other plans for it and I'm making room to bring it over here and kind of finish it now. Finally, you're probably sitting on a gold mine of NOS pro street parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, gold mine because they're gold Moroso valve. Right. And I, <laughs> I'm not going to give too much away, but I, I will hint at the fact that there is going to be a certain vehicle at the SEMA show this year that I think is going to help bring those gold Moroso valve covers back. All right. So well, I'll, I'll be right there with them. <laughs> I figured I'd give you the heads up. I don't know if that counts as insider trading, but... Uh, exactly. I remember so. that back in that day when Moroso was the company. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, had a 69 had Camaro. I bought so much Moroso stuff for that car. <laughs> it, it, I mean, you it's had to have Moroso stuff. or you weren't anybody, remember? Right. right. It was like... And then the and then Mylodon. Mylodon was cool too, but not it wasn't Moroso. It wasn't you know? Moroso. It wasn't Moroso. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and I remember on my seventy one El Camino, I went all chrome. You know, everything on the on the Chevelle was the gold. I and I went crazy with that. I mean, I um, I uh, took the car apart, and all of the suspension was gold iridated, so that it was uh, you know matching and and I mean. It, it's got the the two and a half inch uh, you know um, hooker headers with the one slip pipe that goes around the frame and everything. Right. And yeah, right. It's it's crazy. Yeah, Brad knows about those headers. Yeah. Ugh. Did you have a set of those? <laughs> yeah, I built my dad a '72 Camino, and it had the uh, what two and an eighth or two and a quarter inch primaries that had those. And yes. Oh, they're a, uh, yeah. They're a pain, aren't they? Oh god, they're a, you got to stand the car up on its nose and yeah, do a circle and yeah, it's it's like ridiculous trying to put those things on. We always and, laugh and that's because just it's the initial install. Then if you got to service <laughs> yeah. the car or anything, I, I had I had a set on another car I owned, and I went. The first time I went to change the oil, I went, hey, wait a minute. It's like the oil filter's encased in there. And I go, I never thought about that. It's crazy. It's, it's easier to put headers on a big block first-gen Camaro than it is a Chevelle. And a Chevelle's got more <laughs> room. I mean, so you'd think it, ha- it would have more room. It's a bigger car. Yeah. Yeah, it's- yeah. Man. Headers suck. <laughs> hey, we I went with Sanderson Shorty's best thing I ever did. Yeah, lose a couple of horsepower, but made my life. I didn't scrape on the freeway. I didn't scrape on, you know, uh, speed bumps. And uh, they don't hang down. They don't look ugly from 20 feet when you look at the side of the car. Everything about them was great. Yeah. Uh, and probably you didn't have all the hassle of having to go back and constantly retorque stuff. Yeah. Uh. Nothing all the, like that. All the good stuff. They're leaking they, again. <laughs> They're always leaking. Are trying to figure out how you're going to reuse uh, like a factory alternator bracket or a power steering pump bracket and run it to a, a longer bolt on the front header. Yeah, forget it. 
Yep. Never again. <laughs> All the good stuff, man. All the good stuff. So. Yeah. Everybody always ran that one spacer under that front uh, header bolt <laughs> on the driver's side. <laughs> or you make one out of like 15, uh, 15 washers. <laughs> well, when Three Mr. Gasket came out with those little lock washers, <laughs> they still didn't work. You know, no. oh, I ran down, bought a bunch of those, changed everything out, spent like a half a day doing it, and then a week later they were loose again. I'm like, hey, wait a minute, you know? Of course. Those man. were seven ninety five, man. Do you think I'm made of money? <laughs> 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 oh, oh my god, it's the best. Or it's even better when you're you're young and starting out and you don't know if that's a, an exhaust leak or a lifter tick. And you're just kind <laughs> yeah. of like, well. They're all just kind of working in symphony. It's great. <laughs> so so anyways, the big part of that story is that I had two cars back then, and I had to get rid of one of them. I kept the Chevelle, and I off the, the junky old 275 GTO Ferrari that was sitting in there. And, you know, I think it was a good choice. I think keeping the Chevelle was a much better choice. Definitely. <laughs> What, you guys don't think I made a good choice? No, I love your choice. But being a Mopar guy, here's where I'm at. I tell you, I I just keep thinking about the trade. I'm going, man. I know. uh, But see, you you have to remember that my Chevelle, at the time, it was the fastest car at my high school. I mean, literally, guys would show up at my high school. I'd be pulling in to go to school, and there'd be like a – I can remember, like it was yesterday, one day there was a uh, a dark green uh, 69 GTX sitting there, and uh, and and he had come over from some other school, and I pull in, and you couldn't miss my car because it was bright orange. And back in the late 70s, there were not orange cars. Everybody had blue, black, red, you know, you know. And, and so I painted it 74 Vega orange, and... Um, and it stuck out like a sore thumb. So I come pulling in and this guy gets out. And this guy's like, you know, I don't know. He looked like he was 30 at the time. He was probably 22. Just looked older, you know. And and he's like, yeah, I, I hear your car's fast. You want to run them? And I'm like, I'm like going to school, you know. And he's like, he's like, come on, man, you know. And, and so, you know, he lays 20 bucks on his hood. And I go, I'll take your 20 bucks before I go to school, before I go to homeroom. And, uh, and, and the same thing would happen at uh, – at lunchtime, there'd be some guy in a 70 Camaro or a whatever show up and I'd sneak out and I'd, and I'd race right in front of the school. And I, I think back on it and I think this is so crazy because we had like, you know, the guys who monitored so people didn't go out to lunch and stuff. And I'd just walk right past them and they'd let me walk past them because they thought it was cool. I was racing. They weren't teachers. They were like, um, the, you know, the school security or the school monitors or whatever. And, and uh and I'd like race somebody and then come back and 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 go back to, you know, class. And it was like it was weird, you know. When I think back on it at the time, I thought, hey, this is cool, but um, it was fun. And so so when you talk about that that challenger, it was like that guy wanted my car because it was fast and his was just a stock old six pack four forty. Everybody had them, you know. I just think it's funny, though, that you're out there racing between classes. Mr. Fanshawe, you're late for physics class. It's like, oh, I just got done laying down a physics lesson out in front of the school. It's okay. Here's, here's 20 <laughs> bucks. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you a story that I'm 
it's one of those where you're kind of proud of it, but not proud of it. Cause of, you know, you think back and you think, wow, it was so dangerous. But a guy showed up with a KZ 1000 one day and he, and he said, Hey man, I want to run you. And I had, so this was a little bit later. I had nitrous. I had the very first car in town with nitrous and, sure. and I, I was managing the, um, the speed shop and or, well, I, let me take that back. I was working at the speed shop and, um, and a guy from NOS came in, a sales rep, and he and uh, and he was telling us all about it. And I was like, "That's cool, you know? Really, it'll do that?" And um, and so he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "I'll sell you when it costs if you want to." It was just the very basic, you know, under the carb, you know, just a single jet plate with a bottle. And uh, and so I thought, yeah, you know, man, if I can get three hundred horsepower, why not? And and it made my car so fast that big block with a nitrous spray and a power glide with a 2,500 stall converter. And I had 488s in the back. So that thing was wicked, you know, and, and, uh, this dude shows up one day and it was right in front of school. And, um, and he had a KZ 1000 with a Kirker power pipe and everything. And I'm like, God, there's no way I can beat this thing. This thing, I mean, you know, I mean, bikes are fast. You can't beat them. And so I negotiated, you know, a three car, length head start and and uh and so we went and he's coming on me so hard i'm like i'm like there's no way i'm gonna beat this guy but if i drift a little towards his lane (laughs) and all of a sudden you saw that thing go and then i just kept going and uh by the time he realized i wasn't coming in his lane i was just drifting a little bit i'd already won so uh it worked it worked but because, uh, you know, when you're on a motorcycle and a car's drifting towards your lane, you don't want to take the chance. You slow down. And uh, that never worked again because then, you know, the guy was smarter than that. But uh, what was it? Uh, the professional wrestler, Jesse, the body venture. See, we'll keep this all around the same timeline for you. What is it he used to say? It was like, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say how he said that Brad Fanshawe's Chevelle was super fast. I, so. I had that poster on my wall. It was yeah, just him. Yeah. Your that, Chevelle. That bright and... orange car is as fast as it looks. Now, it was, you know, and what's so funny is that I thought my car was so fast, and there were other cars. I mean, where, where are all you guys from? I'm from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, so, so you know California. the Midwest. And, and I mean, Brad's California and, and Brian, you're in Arizona, right? I'm in Arizona, but I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Okay. Well, yeah, they race back there. And, and I mean, and they race out here, you know, but it's like, it's like I moved there and man, street racing was huge. It was, uh, I mean, and the cars, because there were a lot of wealthy farmers and people that know Omaha, Nebraska know that. There are a lot of major corporations there, you know, uh, because they would have their call centers, every major hotel, every major insurance company and all the major airlines. So there's a lot of wealthy executives and stuff. And so wealthy executives and their kids all had cars. I mean, and I mean, it was very common to see multiple Hemi cars, um, you know, 446 pack cars, LS6 Chevelles. Uh, there was uh uh, in town, a uh, a lightweight Galaxy, um, you know, a factory lightweight car. There was a factory lightweight Hemi GTX. And then there were the modified cars, 
Then there were the guys that were running nine-second streetcars back then. Um, and, I mean, these things were just, you know, full-on drag cars for the street and doing wheel stands and stuff. And and it, and it's funny. I, I think the only reason my car got a reputation is because it looked, you know, with the orange paint, it looked so different. And it was fast, but it wasn't like any of those cars. I mean, some of those cars were just crazy fast. And uh, But it was fun. It was it was great, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. What you asked me was, what was the first car that influenced me? And I went off on this diatribe. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> You're a car huh? guy. That's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> Every story comes down to that. You could, I could have said, hey, what did you eat for lunch this one day? And you're going to go back, okay, what car did I have that day? Yeah. So with uh, with that car being orange, was mm-hmm. that was that color? Because I know that color seems to come up an awful lot in your branding, especially you know with Bonsby. There was you know there's some orange there. What is that an ongoing theme in your life? Do you have kind of a well? This is going to sound so dirty if I say, do you have an orange thing, Brad? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, being that I am the um, the chairman of the board for the uh, Vitamin C Council of America. It, um, it, it has, you know, it's always kind of been natural. Well played. Yeah. No, um, no, <laughs> I, I have orange has always been one of my favorite colors and you're absolutely right. My watch company, uh, my, my company Bonneville and bond speed, um, have always used that color as our corporate colors. Cause we, you know, it's, it's just, it's it's one of those colors that in my mind is sporty yet rich it pops and um you know because everything looks good in red everything looks good in black but if you want to go a little bit different you know and so i always try and integrate it somewhere um you know i mean the the truck that i built for sema for gmc that won the gmc design award uh, you know it had orange and um I've done, uh, gosh, probably you know, numerous other cars that have had orange integrated somewhere. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I I'm an orange fanatic. I admit it. Well, that's that's not a bad thing because I, I personally I've got kind of an affinity for orange too. So I'm I'm with you there. You've got the Chevelle and you decide to paint it orange to stand out. So I guess my my big question here then is. Is this kind of the genesis of your wanting to try to stand out in life? And is this kind of where, like, I don't know, was, was your head kind of going into a branding thing at this point? Or did you decide to kind of go that direction career-wise later on? I mean, how do you go from a speed shop to branding and marketing and building all kinds of cool stuff like that? Wow, that's a that's a mouthful. How do that's I answer that? Question, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess everything, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, all of us are into cars because we like speed, we like performance, we like aesthetics, but we like to be, you know, when you're younger, you want to have a cool car. So the, the women will look at you. Right. And that everyone else will be jealous of what you have because it's the coolest car. It's the fastest car. It's the coolest bike, whatever it is you know, from when you got your first Hot Wheels and you had the limited edition one and, and, or your Stingray or your Mongoose or Redline or whatever it was. And, and I guess for me, I first started thinking, really had cognizant thinking about branding and, and making an image when I raced BMX, because 
I had moved to Nebraska from the West Coast where I was on the very cusp of BMX. I mean, I raced side hacks with Scott Bryhop from SE Racing and I and I and I raced with Wheels and Things guys and you know all the big names and uh before they were big names, you know. I mean, like Bob Harrow was a friend of mine and 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 so so I moved to the Midwest and there was nothing going on. There were guys riding BMX bikes, but there was not a single BMX track. And my dad helped me start it. And so we had to start thinking of cool names and, and, uh, you know, kind of branding yourself. I, you know, I mean, my, my Jersey used to say bonsai Brad on the back, you know, I mean, and, and, and so that's where you start thinking about it. Cause you want to create an image and, 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 um, being a BMX racer and then racing pro and like that, you've got to do that to stick out to sponsors and you got to do that. You know, you got to have wins, but you got to have an image too. And, and I was the, you know, the California guy that was in the Midwest and that's what worked for me. And then, um, BMX was the first thing for a lot of kids that, you know, I talked to so many guys that it was that first thing that you got to customize you got to go fast. You got to jump, and um, and I mean, it was uh, the thing that kind of set you apart, gave you your individuality. One guy had a red line, one had a mongoose, one had a PK ripper. You know, whatever it was you were into, and then you know you could get the anodized parts and all the trick stuff. Right up, and that seems that's a recurring theme. It seems everybody we talk to either starts with BMX, uh, skateboarding. You know, it's it's all kind of in that zone, and then you move into you know again we go back to VWs, uh, mini trucks, or in a lot of cases too, like muscle cars. This yeah, is kind of, it's funny how that works. So so I mean, it's it is it gave you that freedom whether it was a skateboard or a BMX bike it was that first freedom you had where you could just take off and rip around and hang out with your buddies and do whatever you wanted and. And, and and that's what it was, and that's what got me um, after Nebraska got me back to the West when I moved back to Arizona, um, where I call Omaha and Scottsdale kind of home, because my parents always had a home in Scottsdale, and I lived a lot of different places, but we would always move back to Scottsdale. My dad's job had him going out hiring people all over the country, and then we'd move back. So I might have lived in Denver for a year. I lived in San Diego for a couple of years, you know, and and then after high school and college, I went back to Arizona. My parents were back in Arizona and and I, uh, I was still racing BMX, but I was um, kind of, you know, heavy into cars, of course. And and that's when I went to work for uh, the American Bicycle Association, running all the BMX nationals and the sanctioning body and and stuff like that. Right. So. Well, see, that's pretty cool. I did I did not know that about you. That's that's actually really cool. It was it was fun times, man. It's uh, I was talking to somebody today, and uh, they said, "What was the coolest thing about working at ABA and you know running that? Was it you know traveling all over and you know or was it you know running the races or doing the photography?" I said, "I said, hell no, man. The best part was." building the tracks i got to run a d30 and push dirt and and you know <laughs> like do something that every kid wants to you know i mean it, it was like i'm I, I got to learn how to drive this giant front loader and uh and just go in and build tracks and push dirt and pack and 
And I did my share of damage with that thing too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the. Uh, it's long enough now. I'm sure the uh, uh, the statute of limitations has run out. But uh, at the uh, at the Orange Fairgrounds, um, we because we would rent dirt just like Supercross does, and we would rent the dirt. And when we got there, it was just piles of dirt, and we'd build the track. And then once in a while we would hook up with like the, you know, the tractor poles or, you know, something like that. And, and we would share the cost of the dirt. Well, in this case it was the tractor poles. And so everybody leaves nationals over and I'm there all alone. And, you know, we'd already been, you know, working all weekend. Now it's Sunday night at like eight at night. I'm going to be there till one in the morning. Cause what I would do is flatten everything out, even it back drag it. And then the tractor pull guys come in the next day and they build their monster pit and all that. And so um, I didn't come into this particular one to um, build the track. One of the other guys built the track. I just came in, flew in because I had some other stuff going on and flew in to tear it down. What they forgot to tell me was we were building the track inside of an oval track. They didn't tell me there was a figure eight. And so about... 10 o'clock at night, I got the big spotlights going, and I'm listening <laughs> listening to my Walkman. I think it had a cassette in it, probably. And uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm going along, and all of a sudden, I see asphalt going. And I go, <gasps> and I stop, and I go, oh, shit. So I, so I uh, jump out. I turn on all the floods, and I look, and I go. So I, I call the guy at his house. I, I actually, and back then, I had to go to a payphone, call him up, and and I go, Bill. I go, he goes, oh, yeah, that's a figure eight under there. Don't go too deep. And I go, I already did. He's, oh, shit. And I, go, <laughs> and I go, I go, yeah, man. I said, I said, I think I took like 20 feet of asphalt up. And he goes, we'll backtrack it all, pack it really good. We'll blame it on the, on the monster truck guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did. And, uh, um, but, and, and there was another time we were in Louisiana and, um, the guy who taught me was awesome. He actually was one of the most renowned golf course and man-made lake builders in the world. And I mean, they would fly him around to build like these golf courses in the middle East and Jack Nicholson designed and all this stuff. And so he was awesome. We're in Louisiana and we're building the giant starting hill and, you know, we would pile dirt, pile dirt, pack it. Pile dirt, pile dirt, pile dirt, pack it. Well, we're on the very last, and I'm driving this giant front loader. And what we would do is you'd put the bucket high in the air, and we would just roll back and forth, back and forth, and pack it. And I went up to the – and I got all the way to the top, and there was an air pocket. And the um, and, and the front – what would be like on a normal car, driver's side front tire, hit this air pocket, and – the whole thing just like went on its side. And normally what you would do is you would drop the bucket and that would stop it from falling. But it happened so quick. Um, Bill probably would have grabbed it. I wasn't that good at driving them. And, and so I wound up in the first like five rows of bleachers in the, in the football stadium at, uh, in Louisiana. And, um, and I'm laying there sideways, took out the front railing, took out all these bleacher seats and everything. And I'm like, Oh crap. And so I, I get out of the, 
out of the thing and I walk out the parking lot, find Bill, who's out there talking to the dump truck guys, bringing dirt in. And I tell him what happened. He goes, ah, that happens. He goes, let's go in and look at it. And, um, and by the time we get in there, the manager of the stadium's already in there with two estimators estimating what's going to happen. You know, what, what, how much, uh, five rows of seats and this and that. And, uh, and Bill goes, why don't you just, don't you just hold on? We're not done here yet. And the guy looks at him. What do you mean? He goes, just, just hold on. And Bill looks around and he goes, yeah, he goes, yeah, you did a number on this. He goes, there's only two ways of getting this sucker out. And I go, what's that? He goes, we hire a crane. The crane has to, we got to wait all day for the crane to get here. They got to, they got to assemble the boom inside here. And then, and then they lift it and we back off. And he goes, you know how much that's going to be? That's going to be, oh God. And, and I, and he goes, the other way is this. And he jumps in and he starts it up and he puts the bucket down and just starts smashing like about five more rows of seats and, <laughs> and, and backing as he's doing them. And the manager's yelling and, and, uh, and then he gets it uprighted and backs it off the hill. And the manager comes running out, what did you do? And he goes, he goes hey, I'm going to buy them. We were going to buy them anyways. And he goes, it's way cheaper than a crane coming in. And we got a race to run tonight. You know, I mean, it was like, it, it, that was his attitude. And, and so I learned how to be destructive from him. So <laughs> Productively destructive. See, this is, yes. this is actually good. This is, this is a good marketing thing. You could actually make money being destructive. <laughs> But that really? was that was probably the the best part of that was building those tracks and and uh, learning how to run that big equipment because it's just you know when you always see them sitting in a lot you think wow wouldn't that be cool just jump on it was it is cool and and uh, because what I did there was so different than what everybody else did that when it grew to that level it was kind of an honor to be asked to come in and after all those years to come back and help them structure everything for the Olympics, which was pretty cool. That's incredible. And you talked about destructive and now you're getting to something where you did something totally unique. As far as being disruptive goes, that seems to be a common thing with you. I mean, you've, you've done a lot of disruptive things in the industry and obviously always for the better. Uh, I mean, heck it, it's, I, I know a lot of people talk about the story, but you were the first one to take an aftermarket company public. Yes. And that's, see, that still, it blows my mind to think about, like, the, the fact that no one had really thought to do that prior to that. And obviously, we'd need five or six episodes to probably go over just <laughs> the fundamentals of making a plan like that work. I mean, let me back up just a little bit, just to kind of set the, you know, the, the groundwork here. I mean, you know, when I moved to California, um, I, uh, a friend of mine had started uh, a company called Vision Streetwear which if you were into skateboarding or sim snowboards or vision streetwear clothing and shoes, um, he had started it and it had grown in like a year from nothing to $10 million. And he was pulling his hair out. And so it was going bonkers. And I came over and, and jumped in and, uh, you know, got to partner up with him and we, and we took it from like that point, to 120 million in five years. And in, in the course of that time, we literally laid the groundwork for everything that they call the X games now, because we put skateboarding and snowboarding on TV. We put mountain biking on TV. We put BMX on TV and we even, uh, sponsored drag boat racing and, 
and, uh, you know, like uh, flat track racing and all kinds of stuff. And, um, so we were one of the, you talk about disruptive. I mean, we put on these huge, uh, skateboard events where we would sell out stadiums and like the red hot chili peppers would come play. And, uh, it was before they were like the giant band they are now. And, you know, we brought in bands like that, that were just up and coming and they would play. And, and so it was really cool. And we grew to a point where it, it almost got out of control. I mean, it was so huge. And we, for a lot of reasons, um, the founder of the company, he, he basically said, man, I would, I really didn't want to build a corporation like this. I want to get back to the roots of skateboarding and stuff. And he's still in it. He still owns, uh, you know, a skateboard distribution company and a truck company. And, but back then we owned a television production company. We owned, um, I mean, all kinds of stuff. We had the largest television production company, um, in Orange County. And, uh, you know, so, so when we sold out of that and I was a car guy, well, I had started looking at what Boyd Connington was doing. And at the time, Boyd literally was just starting out. I mean, he, he had already built some iconic cars and, and was, you know, well on his way, but he only had one CNC machine and he was kind of, you know, just getting into the building, the billet wheels. And, and, uh, although he had built, you know, a number of them, it was not what you guys remember is Boyd's wheels. It was more like one machine, you know, a few sets every week kind of a deal. Well, I went up to a shop a number of times to check things out. Yeah, I was a car guy. Well, because I was getting out of vision, I, you know, was talking to him and, and he wanted to do a clothing company. That's how him and I got together. He wanted to do, you know, like a hot rod clothing company. And he had already teamed up with some guy that had had Boyd spend a bunch of money and, never went anywhere. And, and so, um, you know, I was, I was like, man, what you're doing here could be this, this, this. And we went to a bunch of dinners and he was like, do you really think I could do that? Well, one night he called me and he said, he goes, let's do this. Let's, let's put something together. So, um, we decided to do it and we decided to team up and I would, you know, um, bring in some capital and I would bring in my knowledge and all my marketing from the action sports industry and, and kind of bring it to the automotive aftermarket. And, and so, um, he called me and he said, Hey, I want you to come up and look at this car that we, that we just finished. And, uh, it's called Cadzilla. And, um, and so I came up and Cadzilla was getting ready to be loaded on a truck and, uh, and he took me from front to back, walked me around that car, showed me every single thing about it. And at the end, we shook hands and we said, let's go into business together. And that's kind of how we did it. And, um, and, and so Cadzilla was literally going out the door that night. And I was coming in the door the next week. And, um, and, and so it was about growing voids and, and building a company that, that um, you know, we, we built the best wheels, the best cars. We used the cars to market the wheels and we did our apparel and our, you know, our motorcycle parts. And, and, and at the time Boyd's wasn't what, you know, everybody thinks of Boyd's is what they saw on TV. And, uh, you know, I always say the most iconic cars and the, 
the best craftsmanship came before the TV show. It was, you know, the stuff that we built like Shazoom and, and a Lumacoop and, and all the hot rods and roadsters. And, and, uh, I mean, I could just go down the list of all the cars, but, um, it was, it was a matter of growing that. And then it grew to a point where to take it to the next level, we had to finance it. And that's where the idea of the public offering came up. And, uh, people told us you can't do it. You can't take a company like this public. It's, it's, it's too, you know, design oriented. It's too craftsmanship. It's too this, it's too that. And Edelbrock at the same time was trying to go public, but they were doing it a little bit different way. They had a lot of real estate holdings and things like that. So they were using their real estate portfolio as the crux of it. And I took it a whole different direction. I sold it on the, that we were an American icon and that we were, um, you know, building what nobody had ever done before that we were building the American attitude of ingenuity and taking it on a mass scale with our wheels, our car care line, our apparel, and the cars were basically the marketing tools. And, uh, I, I, uh, <laughs> I must've said a good story because they bought into it and they, uh, uh, they let us spend a ton of money and they let us spend a lot of money on attorneys and a lot of money on accountants and um, taking a company public is not easy. And it especially was not easy back then. We had to have certified financials. I flew all over the country talking to brokers and I spent half my life. I say one of the worst things was, you know, um, you know, Boyd and I hired Chip Foose and we hired Jesse James and, and then all the other guys who you don't know their names that were just incredible craftsmanship or craftsmen that worked for us. And those guys got to do all the fun stuff. Like, you know, people always say, well, you know, I don't remember you back then, you know, and Chip would be on Americruise or Chip would be on. And I go, yeah, that's because I was keeping the, like, the place going and, and building this, sitting with attorneys and accountants. And um, trust me, I would have rather been on Americruise or Power Tour or something like that. But I was doing that. And, uh, and, and, uh, it worked and we did things that had never been done before. We, we did at broker meetings at, at what, what's called, you do the dog and pony show where you go out around the country and you talk to finance people and you, because the one thing that I told Boyd we couldn't do is I, cause Boyd thought everybody who bought a set of Boyd wheels would want to invest in his stock. Boyd thought that every one of our customers would want to invest in our stock. And I said, that'd be the worst thing we ever did. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, when a guy comes in, he's building a hot rod. We don't want him to be looking around and going, you know, those, those stainless steel fasteners over there. I wonder if they're throwing those away or, you know, if they're using them right or, you know, really that guy leaning against the wall, should he be studying that car or should he be polishing on it? We didn't want it to become where they were coming looking at their investment. I wanted them to come and it'd be like Disneyland for cars. So I did what's called an institutional investment where 90% of our investors were banks, hedge funds, and and uh, insurance companies so that those guys never came in. They just looked at the numbers and the bottom line. But the people who own the stock didn't care about the stuff I just talked about. And that way we didn't have customers – getting off in the wrong direction. They could enjoy the cars, enjoy the wheels. And so anyways, 
that that's what we did. But some of the other things we did that were different was these dog and pony shows were real, usually dry. They'd go in, the accountants would get up, talk about the numbers. And I told the brokers, I said, I want to show a video. Do any of you guys remember the videos that we used to produce and show at our trade show booth at SEMA? Did you ever get to see those? That was I before my time with SEMA. I can't say I ever did. I can't say that I did, no. You can probably find them now with YouTube and stuff. I used to produce a video every year called Wild Wheels. And there we did a total of six of them. And um, so it would be like, I mean, they got more and more advanced over the years. Like the last one I did, it had our big yellow semi driving through the desert. And I had a cameraman on a helicopter and and Smooster went came up on it and then blasted past it and and uh i mean they got really pretty cool and but it was like a year in the life of boyd's summed up and we'd we'd debut it every year at sema and um and and this was long before iphones and we had we had real film crews and stuff you know and uh but i i would do these these financial i would start the video before we talked any numbers and I did it, and they said, nah, we don't do that. That's not how we – I said, no, no, let's do it. And by the end, they said, oh, my God, that was brilliant because how do you tell a guy from New York who's a hedge fund manager who's never even owned a car about selling a half-million-dollar hot rod or a $6,000 set of wheels? You can't do it unless you show them visually, and that's what we did. And then the other thing that we did that was different from anybody else that now is commonplace was we had gatefolds in the offering prospectus with color photos, and nobody had ever done that. They said, you don't do that. This is for financial people. And I said, financial people have to understand what we're selling them because the written word's not going to show them. And uh, that was kind of a long way to answer your question, but that's what it was. Oh, it's, thank you. <laughs> that was cool. Yes. This is why this is why I like you so much, man. I see you're outside of the box enough. Now try to imagine what you could do today with as far as like virtual reality. You could bring in a set of goggles for somebody and a fan and have them sitting like in a riding shotgun and a roadster. Oh yeah. They could be doing a burnout and they could be doing all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Yeah. But bring, uh do you smell know, that's what's fun. It's it's you gotta push the envelope. You know, and that's the thing. I, I always say I'm a information junkie. Because I want to know about everything. I want, and sometimes it hinders me in the car world because, you know, yeah, I could be a much more proficient welder or I could know how to run a CNC or whatever. But I'm busy trying to learn about everything and then kind of bringing it in, you know. And, uh, and, and, and it's helped me. I mean, it's like when I started my watch company, I went over to Switzerland and people were like – they're not going to talk to you. They don't like Americans and they don't like people that are outside of the watch industry. And I said, well, wait a minute. What do you mean? Why don't they like people that are from outside of the watch industry? I can understand because maybe it's their own little click, but why don't they like Americans? They go because they come over, they bring them a watch and they say, oh, I want my watch to look like this, but put my name on the dial. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. So um, we did a ton of research and I reached out to people and I found the guys who were like the best of the best. They were the Boyd Coddington of watch building. And, and they said, they will not even talk to you. And I said, I said, well, how do I get in the door? And, and they, well, anyways, through a friend of a friend of a friend, I was able to get a sit down with them. And 
as soon as I started showing them my designs and then talking to them, they totally, they even said, we didn't want to meet with you. We did it as a courtesy, but now we're glad we did because their CNCs at their watch factory were the exact same things we built wheels on. They were just smaller. And I was able to teach them things that they could do on their machines that they didn't even know they could do because like the bracelet on my watch, I showed, and he goes, he goes, we can't make that, you know? And I go, yes, you can. And I told him what bit to use. And I told him you got to back drag it. And, and he's like, he goes, wow. And then they tried it. So then we were fast friends and, uh, it, it really worked out. But because of some of the things we did and the way we approached the watch industry with a whole new outlook, kind of like, um, not knowing any better. Um, you know, today I've got, three worldwide patents, two utility and one design on watch building. And, you know, it's like they were even amazed because they said everything's been done in the watch world, but no, it hasn't, you know, and, uh, um, and, and it's just like that with anything, you know, it's you always take a new look and always just be looking at what people are doing and how they're doing it and how can you apply it to what you're doing? That's all it is. This is so much better than the way we would have done it. Our group, we would have sent <laughs> Brad for like, three and a half weeks to develop like a French accent. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, man, so God, see, you're, you're a tough guy to pin because there's so many different ways to go with this, but okay. God, I want to get back to the watch thing because it's super important to me and obviously very important to you because that's, you've done so much on that. That's incredible. Just backing up, a little bit to your, your time when you were say it's like you're developing basically you developed an entire marketing plan to go in front of investors with the Boyd brand. Yeah. Um, everything you did back then almost seems to be coming full circle. Now, when you look at uh, the SEMA show and you look at how people are branding their shops, uh, the, the wave of reality TV, take it for good or bad. Um, all this stuff really comes back down to kind of having branding in place as, as a major thing. And that was almost unheard of for the longest time. I mean, sure. You had guys like, okay, George Barris, who was out there doing all kinds of stuff for magazines. He understood the value of media, but like the things that you did really kind of turned it around. You brought kind of a, a boutique level of marketing into uh, an industry that really wasn't all about that at all. And, and I can't say enough just this how that, I mean, that shocks me. It knocks my legs out from under me because I'm a big fan of branding. I, I just, I live for that stuff. And to me, it's like the coolest thing in the world, you know, when you're able to take something and just find out what it is at its core and find a way to package that and present it to someone who knows nothing about it. And I mean, for lack of a better explanation, you really made that whole Hot Rods by Boy brand that was kind of a, a Starbucks coffee of hot rodding because it was it was more of an experience. Oh, well, hell, hey, wait, let's just end the podcast right there on that note. Hey, thank you. No. <laughs> thank you. No, I mean, that's All right, a compliment. Hey, good night. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no, you you really did. You and cause I remember buying and I still remember buying my first Hot Rods by Boyd shirt. And it's just a weird thing, the whole, you know, that shop rags brand and everything like that. And it's weird to think about because I bought so many shirts over the years and I couldn't tell you when I bought those. And to this day, I remember that and I kind of hung out of that because to me, that was the pinnacle of hot rod building. 
there was nothing higher in the country at that point. Well, well I mean, I, I appreciate you recognizing that. And I mean, and it, and it was, I mean, we were trying to take it, you know, I really came in and I came in with that action sports attitude, which is if you can sell surfing to somebody on the East coast, I mean, on in the Midwest and you can, I mean, literally a guy buys a surfboard to hang on his wall or buys all the, you know, the OP or the Quicksilver or whatever. And that's what, when you talk to anybody in action sports, they always go back to like Quicksilver because they were the first brand to sell surfing around the world, but especially in places where you can't surf. And, and we took that with skateboarding. But when I came in with that attitude, the very first thing I coined was the Boyd look because I looked at what Boyd was doing and he was so close to it and he was a machinist and, you know, and, and Boyd was such a you know remarkable guy as far as his eye and everything like that. And Boyd and I used to say, cause Boyd and I would banter back and forth about cars and, you know, it would be, it would be that we would get frustrated because neither of us can draw stick people, but we knew what we needed that car to look like. And he was the guy with the color, you know, and I learned color, you know, a lot of my color, you know, from him. And the, the thing was, is we needed someone to execute that because I always, I, I always told Boyd, we're conceptual designers. We can't draw. We can just see it in our head. And, you know, you guys know that being around car world, there are guys that can't even see it in their head. I mean, you know, customers of mine all the time, you'll go, so imagine it with, you know, like if, if you painted it this color, shaved it, and they're like, that blank stare comes over their face like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, and, and so we were conceptual designers. But the first thing I knew was Boyd had that distinctive look in his cars. And so we came up with the Boyd look and we created that logo. And that was kind of the very first thing. And, um, and then we just progressed from there, as you said, and, and I kept trying to coin things that the apparel, the shop rags apparel, when I came up with that and I, I put labels in it, Boyd Coddington, because I wanted people to say, this isn't another t-shirt you buy at the hot rod show or the car show it's actually a piece of apparel and that hot rodding custom cars have gotten to a new level. And then when we came out with the, the Boyd's ultraviolet, you know, I came up with that name and Boyd goes, what's ultraviolet. And I go, it doesn't really mean anything, but when people think of ultraviolet rays, we want them to think that this is something that, you know, it's, you know, out in the sun, it's going to look good. And, and we were using purple on so many cars at that time. It worked really well. And um, even there, the packaging, we made sure we got really expensive metallic looking bottles. And I don't know if any of you ever got to see the carts that I worked with Little John, um, which if anybody's got one out there, I would love to have one. Uh, we made two of them. Did you ever see any of those? I have not. The carts for, for which? Okay. So what I did to launch Boyd's Ultraviolet was I had Little John Batera make two billet aluminum carts. And like they had detail carts or like detail carts, but they were completely machined from billet aluminum. It, it seems like I remember one. I just, I don't know where I, I don't remember when, I mean, it, it was a long well, time ago, but it, it was. And, and what we did was little John executed the design famously like he did everything. And it was, um, it was, uh, um, 
what am I trying to say? Oh, well, there were three shelves, and um, and they were machined out of billet aluminum, and the and the bottles each had their own slot machine that were the shape of the bottle, and you could fit about sixteen bottles in each one. The handles came up, and they were anodized purple with lime green anodized grips, and then they had bicycle tires, and they had oid wheels that were the size of bicycle tires, and these things would sit out in front of our semis. And then what we did at Good Guys events is we had some girls wearing Boyd's Ultraviolet T-shirts. They would walk around the show, wheel in these carts, and they would walk up and they'd go, hey, can I uh, put tire dressing on your tires? And what guy would go, uh, no, no, you can't. You know, they would go, oh, sure. And then while she was doing it, she'd tell them all about Boyd's Ultraviolet and they'd come over to the truck and buy some. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and we did that for about five or six shows till Gary Metters went, hey, you know, you guys, uh, Eagle One pays to be the official car care supplier <laughs> of, uh, uh, you can't be doing that anymore. And we were like, oh, okay. But we left them out. And by that time, they were sitting out. People came over. Oh, my God, you got to check out the cart. And, and uh, they, they were just, they were like hot rods, you know. I mean, they were just so cool. And that was the kind of stuff we did just to kind of, you know, push it outside farther than anybody else had ever done because it kept people talking about not just because there were lots, there's lots of guys building cool cars and there's lots of guys building wheels, you know. Um, but we had to keep pushing it and, and, and doing something that was kind of outside of the envelope, you know. So you really, you, you guys even, well, may, maybe not consciously at the point, but you even elevated the whole booth babe idea. Nicely done. Well, I mean, <laughs> and even even like the, the semis. I mean, you know, we had those Canapa semis, you know, and we built these incredible, you know, displays outside them. I mean, I put a lot of thought into it. Like we did one year, I don't even know if, I, I've never even searched this or anything, but we did a whole, we, we started to the point when we had the yellow semi go out on the road, we named the tour just like a concert tour. We called it the Boyd Zone Tour. And we would invite people to the Boyd Zone. We'd hand out Boyd Zone stickers and we had um, T-shirts and um, our customers would get a laminate. And it was, you know, um, it, it was it was to create an atmosphere of you were when you were buying a set of Boyd's wheels or you owned a Boyd car, you became part of something. You weren't just buying a product. You were buying into our whole lifestyle. And that right there, that kind of captures the whole essence of hot rodding to begin with, because I mean, okay. Beyond the whole dig me aspect, like we talked about, you know, you build a cool car when you're a kid, cause you want, you want to get the girls later on. It's kind of weird because you want just the attention of anybody. I mean, the, the name of that whole game is dig me. And you really found a way to, and you didn't just, I don't want to cheapen it by saying you found a way to let people buy their way in because that's kind of ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I mean, you found a way, again, it goes back to that Starbucks thing. You guys were like that, as a friend of mine puts it, if you think of iconic coffee cups to have in your hand, yeah, there's the Starbucks, there, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if you have one of those, those New York city type, you know, just the, the plain white coffee cup, you know, from whatever cart you bought that coffee of, there's a whole status thing to it and it's the experience of holding that cup of coffee you kind of did that with hot rodding and you really brought it to a, a really huge market 
Like I said, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass because that's the last thing I ever want to do on this podcast. I mean, I'd much rather, you know, I'd rather pick a fight with him. Huh? But <laughs> it's like you, you really, you kind of invented what is the modern marketing tool for hot rodding. And that, that's well, really I, cool. I, I hope we did it for a lot of stuff because I've talked to people over the years. I mean, even like, um, I don't want to assume anything. Did you guys ever see the billet aluminum guitar that, that, that we made? Uh-huh. Like, yep. Yep. And oh, I mean, yeah. that elevated it to a whole nother level. Cause I was fortunate enough to, you know, be friends with Michael Anthony and Sammy and all those guys. And they invited me down to Cabo and I went down there and we were out on a deep sea fishing boat and we were sitting there and we started talking about hot rods, talking about, and, 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 uh, you know, I said, I said, man, it would be so cool if we could build a billet aluminum guitar. I said, but it would never work. And, and Michael went, he goes, yeah, cause it wouldn't resonate. He goes, we need the, you know, the resonation. And he goes, I think aluminum would just be too tinny or something. Well, his guitar tech was with us and without like one step, he just looked over and he goes, Oh, I know he could do it. You use a neck through bass and just build around it. Then the neck through does the resonation. And I, at the time, I, I wasn't even smart enough to know what a, a neck through bass was. You know, I go, I go, well, what's that? And he goes, have you ever seen one of those stick basses where it doesn't have a body? It's just the strings on like a stick. And I go, I go, yeah. And he goes, that's a neck through bass. He goes, that's really where you get your resonation. The rest is all decoration. And he goes, it's the pickups and, and the wood that they're connected to. And I said, okay. And I go, so we could do it. And he goes, yeah. So I went back. And I said to Boyd, I go, Boyd, we're going to build a billet aluminum guitar, man. This is going to be the biggest thing ever. People are going to freak out and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to blow it up with this thing. And, and I probably didn't say blow it up because that wasn't even a term back then. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> See, but, one, you just literally yeah. went from Gary Vaynerchuk to like Jeff Spicoli. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be so bitching. <laughs> yeah. I said, I said, it's going to be rad. So, right. anyways, and, um, and so anyways. So, um, I, uh, I started, you know, thinking about how to do this and I made a list of everything this guitar should embody. And I said, it's got to have everything a hot rod has. It has, it has to have wire. It has to have glass. It's got to have, you know, our colors. It's got to have flames. It's got to have keys. It's got to have rubber. It's got to have a wheel and, but it's got to do it tastefully. And I, and then I, and then, so I, I said to Boyd, I said, Boyd, so here's what I'm thinking. We do this. And I said, I'll get a hold of my friends over at the Hard Rock. And I said, we'll build two of them. And we'll donate one to the Hard Rock so that they can put it on display. That'll get our name in the Hard Rock. And I said, and then we'll give one to Michael Anthony. And he can play it on stage. And Boyd was like, he goes, is, is Mike going to pay for this? And, and I said, and I said, no. And Boyd went, can I cuss on this show? And he goes, cause, cause Boyd went, no fucking way. And I went, I went, are you nuts? No, this would be the coolest thing ever. Just, no, cause you're nuts on guitar. And he walked out of my office. So like a lot of things I did with Boyd, I waited a couple of days and I reapproached it a different way. I, uh, I, I, uh, went down to Chip's office and I said, Hey Chip, here's my idea. This, 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 and this. Why don't you do a couple drawings? And uh, so Chip whipped up a couple, a couple drawings, initial ones, and um, 
and took it back into Boyd. And I said, Boyd, I talked to the guys at the Hard Rock. They'd be into it. They'd be up for this. And look at how this thing could look. And then I told them the whole thing again about it's everything that – and I flipped over the, the drawing and embedded in the back was a Boyd wheel. And I said, and look at the shape. I said, the shape is the shape of a one-piece woman's bathing suit. So we got everything. We got sex, rock and roll, wheels, everything. And um, and he goes, and he goes, yeah, I don't know. Let me think about it. And I said, no, let's let's do it. Let's just get it going. And, and I said, I said, trust me on this one, Boyd. I said it's going to work. And he goes, it better. And and it cost us a lot of money because <laughs> 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 it became like this major project. I got Michael down to the shop, did photos of us. And and um, we could only CNC the basic, you know, body. Everything else had to be hand sanded and hand shaped with files. So we had hours and hours, and then we sourced the 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 ribbon glass and sourced. We recut the keys and the head so that it would look like car keys, and and then we hooked up with Mike's guitar guy who, you know, did all the guts and did all the wiring and everything, and um, in. 1989 dollars or whatever year it was oh, i think we had about 20 grand a piece into him which was a lot of money and and boyd was like it is better yeah he goes i can't believe you talked me into this and and i said boyd i said work i said this is gonna come back this is gonna be great and so we um we did the big party i i there was a hard rock cafe in newport beach at the time and I, I lined it up big time, man. We lined up four or five hot rods. We had the who's who of the industry there. We had the press there. And and the um, and I, I had it all worked out where I came pulling in in one hot rod. Then Boyd came pulling in, um, or excuse me, uh, another guest of ours pulled in another hot rod. And then Boyd and Michael pulled in in a roadster. And... Um, and, and they and they jumped out and we did the official presentation of the of the uh, of the guitar right in front of the Hard Rock sign, and then we had a party, and then we presented the Hard Rock with theirs to put on the wall, and it was it was huge, it was great, but I think Boyd was still a little bit hesitant all the money we had spent to give away two <laughs> guitars, you know, we didn't make any money on it until a week later when Tim Allen. Uh, I actually got a call from Tim Allen. He goes, "Hey, I'm going to be on Jay Leno," and uh, uh, we had we had known Tim because we had put the Aluma Coupe on his show where it raced his hot rod on the show. Right. And he called me and he goes, "He goes, hey Brad, do you think uh, we could get some slides of that guitar that you guys built?" He goes, "Because I want to bring it up on the show when I'm on with Jay." And uh, so there he is. He's on and he says and he goes and he goes, "Hey Jay, did you hear about?" Boyd Connington and and Boyd, I mean uh, Jay goes, oh Boyd Connington, that hot rod builder, he's like the best in the world. And Tim goes, yeah. He goes, did you see that billet aluminum guitar? And Jay goes, you know, they had it all planned. You know, he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes that thing, and he goes right into it. A shot of it shows up. Well, right after that, we got inundated by every media outlet wanting to know about it. It was in everything from Playboy magazine to you know, Esquire and, uh, not to mention every car magazine in the world. And we got probably $200,000 worth of publicity, if not more out of it. 
And then we toured it around for, you know, a year with the cars and at SEMA and everything like that. So, you know, that thing was a, it was a pretty cool, you know, publicity stunt basically. Um, and, uh, it, it, uh, it became kind of like an icon. That's badass. I, I, so, you know, in 89, you're out there doing a hot rod themed guitar and what less than 20 years later, there's a TV show with a company that's doing, you know, guitar themed motorcycles. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> You had your finger right on the pulse of where to go as far as branding went and how to get a lot of mileage out of um, just, you know, a, a product or placing something somewhere. So if you had to give advice today to someone who's coming up, because I mean, we're what? We're about 65 or so days out from the SEMA show. And say you've got a, a young shop coming up and they're looking for a way to kind of make their mark. You know, obviously you hope that they have talent first of all. So if, if there's somebody coming up and they have, you know, they're grassroots, they're, they're working on a shoestring, what would be your suggestion? I mean, without giving too much away, because you know, that's a good way to make a living being an image consultant, but someone who's trying to make their mark there and kind of hit there without being, for lack of a better word, a douche on the SEMA floor, which seems to happen quite a bit. Yeah. Well, they should call me at one eight hundred. No, um, they should. <laughs> exactly, no, we should start the, there. The, the, the main thing is, um, is that you've got what I always say is you've got to break through the marketing clutter. SEMA is one of the most notorious for having marketing noise. You walk through there, and how many times have you walked across the floor and you didn't even see that incredible car or that incredible booth? Because there's so much marketing noise that you just missed it. So you got to do your job. And it's not just at SEMA. If I'm building a car, you know, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna brag about something I've done since Boyd's, there, you know, um, Pete Shaporis, Bobby Alloway paid me probably one of the nicest compliments ever. Um, and it wasn't until recent years. I've been friends with those guys for decades, but they always thought of me as the business guy at Boyd's. They, they, they respected what I did. Pete and, and Pete and Bobby came up to me at the Reno Hot August Nights about four or five years ago. And I had just finished filming Car Warriors. And, and, and he came up and he goes, and he goes, I, he goes, I've known you for years. I always knew you were the business guy. I always knew you were the marketing guy. And he goes, but I, he goes, I just, neglected to notice you as a car fabricator builder and designer and he goes and he goes after bobby pointed out some of your sema cars that you'd built and i saw him and he goes but i he goes i, I gotta say i didn't realize you were really hands-on and he goes then when i watched you on car warriors and i saw you actually doing everything and building and welding and grinding and, and how you jumped in he goes i just had a whole new look at you and i said Pete, I appreciate that from you, man, because you're the man, you know, and, and Bobby Alloway. And, and, and so what I'm getting at is that when I would build a car like, you know, my car that won the GM Design Award or my car that won the Ford Design Award, it's more than just building that car, plopping it on the floor. You've got to market it beforehand. You've got to market it during and you've got to market it after. And so if that's a product, a car, 
and um, and see, builders are probably the worst guys at that because they think I'm going to build the most badass XYZ car. I'm going to take it there. Everybody's jaw's going to drop, and I'm going to be famous. Well, no, it doesn't happen because there might be a lot of people that take pictures of it, thinks it's cool, but they don't ever put two and two together. So if you built that car, you better let them know who built it. And with without being a douche, like you said, you know, standing there going, yeah, me, 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 I, I, I. And, uh, you know, and, and what that means is that, a, and it's easier nowadays with social media, where you dedicate some social media to what you're doing and debut on it, build up the hype, build up the, make sure you come by the, you know, the Phillips booth and see the, you know, see the Nova I built or the 32 I built, whatever it is. And, and do a, an unveiling, even if yours isn't one of the unveilings on the, you know, on the schedule or anything like that, make something special out of it. Make sure you hit up all your buddies and say, Hey man, you know what? I know you've already seen my car a hundred times and you saw it in the trailer, but come over so that it looks like a crowd because a crowd draws a crowd. Exactly. And then, you know, you know, because the hottest nightclubs are the ones with the lines outside of them, you know, and, and, and so that's what you got to do. But then during, that's when you got to grab the guys from the companies that you want to work with in the future and go, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, I built a really cool car. I'm pretty proud of it. Can I take you over and see it? Or would you drop by booth such and such and, and check it out? And, um, because you got to build your own brand. And you got to build your own marketing. And if you don't do that, set that groundwork and that foundation, it doesn't matter what you do afterwards. And uh, and that's what that's what I think you're getting at is that you got to break through that clutter. And you've got even if you're part of like the Ford booth, if you built a Ford car and you're in the, make sure you're marketing what you're doing from within the Ford booth or within whatever booth you're in because so many people they go, hey man, my car's going to be in the you know, the so-and-so booth, you know, the Holly booth or whatever. And then they go out with their buddies and go walking around and hanging out. And it's, it's the same thing as marketing your car at an auction. The guys who can sign a car to Barrett Jackson. And I've had this conversation many, many times because I've sold and bought lots of cars at Barrett Jackson. And, you know, Troy Trepanier called me the first time he was selling a car. He goes, Brad, give me some tips. And he listened. But there's a lot of guys who ask me, and then they don't listen. They go up, they're over at the bar drinking with their buddies, and and, I, and I'm going, hey, isn't your car? Yeah, yeah, they're putting my car through. I'm going to see what it's going to go for. No, you got to be in the staging lanes, talking that thing up, telling people how special it is, getting them hyped, and and you got to pre-market it, and you got to stand up there on stage. So if some guy's got a last-minute question, you know, you can answer it, and uh, um, you, you got to do that, or it just it's never gonna um, if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is gonna. Going back to like uh, like the MySpace days, when I started my studio, you know there were maybe a handful of us out there who were doing renderings for people and working as a design consultants on cars. And it's just funny to bring up MySpace because you think you know glittery stuff. <laughs> I know it's sad. And you were on the cutting but... edge back then, though. But that was and he, the... and he had glittery stuff too. So don't. Oh, yeah, don't I mean you know if you can do a glittery unicorn, it was I... back it was when you were doing those satin jackets, right? Mm. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> me, me and the rest of the pink ladies were hanging out on my space. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah like to, to build a brand back then i remember posting every week i would do just close-up after close-up of my work and show hey my you can see 
a lug nut in my wheel versus, you know, some other guy who's just scribbling a wheel together. Yeah. And I were building that brand and going, okay, now I've got to put out t-shirts. And every day it was like starting from scratch. And I love your stuff, by the way. Well, I, I dig the whole look. Yeah, the vibe and everything. It's cool. Thank you. Come from you. That That's huge. I'm, well, I'm done now. We can, Guys, we can shut this <laughs> one down. <laughs> that's going to be the podcast with five endings. Oh, that sounds really dirty. That Keep that one in mind. I've got a great <laughs> idea for an adult show. There we go. But, um, yeah, like, just what you said, though, it's about getting out there, differentiating something, making that known, and then trying to capitalize and build upon that. I think a lot of that, again, falls back on that experience thing. As hot rod people, I mean, cars aren't meant to be just a stationary thing. It's There's a whole aspect of motion and things like that that go with it. It's kinetic. So I think if you can find any way to capture that, you, you've obviously you've got a huge leg up on the competition. But speaking of having things in motion, you do that to this day. I mean, you've got podcasts, you've got your, you've got a ton of TV stuff in the works. You seem to always be working on something new there. Is is there? I want to get back to the podcasts in a second because I want to hype those for you. Okay. Do, do you have anything going on now that you can talk about as far as uh, TV projects? Um, yeah, I can't give you the details, but, uh, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, keep busy. And, and like I said, I kind of live by that, that motto of you got to keep pushing the envelope. Cause if, if you're not doing it, you know, uh, the old adage of, you know, what, what did you do recently? You know? And, and so I'm always trying to keep on top of it. And, um, I am, you know, it was kind of, I kind of chuckled when you said that about the TV shows earlier about, you know, like, Oh, wow. Yeah. And, I'm really trying to work with people, um, the networks and work with other production companies in coming up with some shows and have them understand why authenticity is not what they think authenticity is and that that um, there's different ways of showing. And I've had a little success pushing that boulder up the hill. And along the ways, I've made lots of great contacts. I've got I got a show we just finished. Uh, I can't tell you what it is, but it's uh, for um, Velocity and and uh, my friend Billy F. Gibbons. Uh, we we put him together with the show, and he's gonna do some really cool stuff with that. And um, and then I've got a uh, another show that I'm working on that is it, it, it's a mashup show. It's bringing different builders together, and that's about all I can tell you about it. But you guys would really dig it because it's not one of these where, like, I reached out to friends of mine like Troy Trepanier and, and uh, you know, um, Bobby Alloway, guys that you never get to see on TV because they don't have time. They don't have time to do it. And when I reached out to them with this concept, they were all like, well, first of all, Brad, because you're part of it, we would do it. Second of all, it sounds so cool. I would love to be part of it. And it gives guys a chance to work together that have never worked together before. Guys at top of their game, and um, and then and then I got some other stuff that's totally off the wall. Some some uh, travel oriented stuff that I'm working on. Uh, another one that's about business, business and marketing. What we were talking about, and, uh, and 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 that's what you know keeps it interesting because I've got to work with guys like. Tom Beers, and I just finished a project with him. Um, and if you uh, have ever seen Deadliest Catch or you ever saw um, 
Monster Garage or you ever saw any of Jesse's shows or um, Storage Wars, Tom Beers is the brains behind all those shows, plus hundreds of other ones. And um, and and now I'm working I, – I worked last summer. I worked on a show that would have been so cool, guys. And it's amazing to watch it like I get to watch it because I was – I was called in to be the automotive consultant. I designed over 25 cars for this show, all built these character back studies and everything so that the cars were designed to mimic the, the, the characters. And, um, it was a racing show kind of. And, uh, the best way I can describe it is if you combined monster trucks and all-star wrestling and, it was one of the coolest concepts, and um, we actually got to build some of the cars. I, I got to build a um, an El Camino that I designed, a 70 El Camino with a blown big block that was a 4x4 four four that actually, I mean, literally jumped and handled and, you know, we all this trick suspension under it and everything, and, um, and, and there were... I mean, we're talking real serious money. I mean, we're talking well into the uh, seven figures on developing the show. And it was, um, I was very excited about it because first of all, I was a producer, I was the designer, but then later on they had actually hired me to be the main character on it as well. And so I was so excited about it. And then like so many of them, after all this money was spent, the network said, you know, yeah, it's just not doing it for us. I think we're going to pass. And we're like, you spent all this money. And to this day, the cars we built sit up in Hollywood in a parking garage. And uh, they they were due to be filmed at – I was going to get to drive one, jumping it, doing all kinds of cool stuff at a sand pit where all these iconic TV commercials and TV shows were filmed. And we had gone up, scouted everything, and – they axed it right before we got to do that. And so, um, I've got a, I've got t-shirts, I've got a helmet, I've got everything, but, um, never got to drive the car. The car got started driven on and off trailers and has never gone any farther. So uh, it's a hundred thousand dollar car that I got to design and build that will probably, I, I say someday it'll probably show up at bear Jackson or some auction or something. Well, no, knowing them, it'll probably just go to like the, the Mannheim auction with all the used cars from the dealerships or, and uh, somebody <laughs> will wind up with it, you know, and cause they just don't know. And you know, it's, um, uh, that kind of stuff. And, uh, so that's kind of the TV stuff. I'm really, really trying to be active in the media and take the world of the automotive lifestyle to a whole nother level. And, uh, and I've had a lot of success and I've, you know, I consulted on car chasers. I was a producer on car chasers I've been on uh, a producer on a couple other shows. I've uh, helped uh, consult, you know, several shows at this point. And, uh, you know, so that's an area I really like. And, um, you know, I keep really active. Um, you asked me what else I do. It's like a lot of people don't realize that I consult other companies. I mean, uh, most notable was many years back when uh, Barrett Jackson, um, you know, was – taking the leap onto TV, we came in and did a whole marketing study for them and, and helped them take, take it to the next level. And real proud of that. And, and there's, 
a lot of other companies that we've done stuff for, like Bombardier Jets, where we help them integrate into automotive racing and 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 Monterey, their whole you know uh, interaction up at Monterey during Motor Week, and and that's all fun stuff. I really enjoy doing that kind of stuff. That's outstanding. Oh my god, I was th- I'm just I'm thinking back to when you mentioned that you're going to have monster trucks though in the show. I was thinking. Did you get the opportunity to build the the jumps and everything? To uh... I actually, there was a whole stunt division that built. I, I'm talking, telling you, this thing was off the hook, man. It was such a huge production, and we had a whole stunt division that they were in charge of building the jumps because we were literally going to race. And I can't give you any more than that, but because uh, it could possibly come back around someday, but. We're literally going to race, and so they had to be spectacular, but they had to be realistic. These these guys had to really be able to drive, and they had to really be able to jump, and they had to really be able to go through these crazy obstacles, and and uh, and, and it was going to be it was going to be pretty cool. And um, that's kind of stuff that you when you see behind the curtain and you know what could have been, and I think wow, that would have been so cool people would have freaked out because it would have taken everything to a whole nother level and it would have been really cool that's bitching i yeah i'm just gonna have to wait i guess you'll we'll have to talk off air and you'll let, if you'll let me know which car you think it is it's going to end up at the auction because I wanna, <laughs> exactly yeah I, well not only that but i want to know at some point like if we we should know to look for this car to be like in like a fast and furious movie where it's being like launched out of a submarine torpedo tube. <laughs> it, it is. It's that kind of car. And I mean, and it was so trick and so cool. And we had to do it all under wraps and, and everything. And, and then we had all these executives fly out from New York and, you know, they were like, Oh, it's so loud, you know? And it's like, yeah, isn't that great? We're revving the motor. And, 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 you know, we put straight, the headers went straight up through the hood. And, you know, so it was, it was it was just awesome, you know. We put, uh, you know, igniters in it so it would throw flames, and you know, it was just it was it was just fun. It was it was like building a cartoon car, and and that's what was so cool about it. It was like, really, you're gonna pay me to design these cars that are gonna be cartoons? And then when they said want to build one, I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, you know, I would go up and work with my team, and we'd build this thing, and and it was like we're getting paid to build this thing. This is like crazy. So, living the dream. So, so speaking. So of we're going to talk about my podcast now. That's what I was going to do. Yeah. I was going to. I had the greatest slide in for this. I was going to say, <laughs> speaking of TV, how long until Man Seeks Adventure becomes a TV series? Funny you'd mention that. <laughs> this is awesome. There's a meeting tomorrow about that, and if it goes well, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, so we've well been on working that. on them. We've been working. We would love to see Man Seeks Adventure on TV. So it's. Uh, have you guys all listened to Man Seeks Adventure? Religiously, yes. Oh, good. Listen I like to, to, hear to a couple that. of them. Yep. So oh, we've got some. We've got one in the can that hasn't even come out yet. Where it's Dave and I drive to Gene Winfield's place in the desert, and oh. uh, and we and we <laughs> just go go off and and uh, you know go up in the desert and check out Gene Winfield's and talk about that, but. It's fun because we get to do so many cool things. And the team with Man Seeks Adventure with, you know, Dave and I, when 
we started Man Seeks Adventure because Dave and I would talk about, oh, where were you? Where were you? Hey, what? And and Dave, being the head of global design for Acura and Honda, um, he's so entrenched in the automotive world, and you know, he's such a car guy, and he loves everything hot rod and and muscle car, and and uh, a lot of people don't know that Dave is also. Um, one of the judges for the Concord d'Elegance at Pebble Beach, which is quite an honor. Wow. And um, and he's uh, one of the featured speakers every year at Eyes on Design in Detroit, which is another really prestigious thing. And But, you know, when him and I get together, all that goes out the window. We're just uh, <laughs> drinking booze, eating food, talking cars, talking guy stuff. And so – about three years ago at the SEMA show, we were doing a live Man Seeks Adventure. We were up on the stage, and we had Heather Storm coming on to promote this new show on Velocity called Garage Squad. And I'd met Heather once, and I was like, oh, yeah, we got this girl coming on. She's going to talk about Garage Squad. And, and he goes, what's that? And I go, I don't know. I'm looking at the bio. It's something about they go out and they, they restore guys' cars that aren't getting any love in their garage, you know, and, and, and he goes, and he goes, is she the host or something? I go, yeah. So, you know, we had real low expectations, I'll be honest. And, and, uh, she came on and, and we hit it off right away because she could talk cars, she could talk booze and she loved to go on adventures. And so we, we just had the greatest time. And so afterwards, Dave and I came in to do a studio thing after the SEMA show. And I looked at him and I said, Dave, I got an idea. I said, what would you think if we had a third host? And he goes, Oh, who are you thinking about? And I said, and I said, I was thinking about asking Heather storm. And he goes, well, it sounds good to me. He goes, but it's man seeks adventure. And I go, no, that's what will make the show unique is if we have a woman's perspective and somebody who can, who can give a shit right back, who can hang with us, who can talk cars with us. And I said, and there's one added benefit. He goes, what's that? And I said, well, she's a mixologist. She can make our drink of the day for every show. (laughs) And, and that sold Dave right there. We were like, so Heather started and we've never looked back. The only crimp is when she's in Chicago filming her show, she's not around, but uh, um, we do have her call in. She does posts for us. She, finds places in Chicago and, and it's, it's great, but Talking. man seeks adventure has been fun. We've been, we've been kind of reinventing it, growing it. Um, we've got a lot of great people, um, like beer and liquor companies that send us stuff to talk about, which is, you know, somebody has got to do it. Right. And, uh, <laughs> poor guys. and, and, and now we've got car companies having us drive their cars. Like I, I, McLaren made me drive their 570S for a week and made you um, made you drive it. They did. They twist my now so now you know what they told me on Saturday is that they're they're gonna make me drive a McLaren Senna for a week in September. Ooh. And uh, you know, I didn't even know they had a million well, what sold is a million dollar car, they sold out and now they're three million. I didn't even realize they would have a McLaren Senna as a press car, let alone I'd get to drive it. So uh you know, so we've been getting to drive a lot of cool cars. I've had a Ferrari. I've had the uh, the Cadillac CTS-V. I've had the Cadillac CT6. I've had um, the Acura. I've had, I mean, it just goes down the line. I mean, lots of great cars. And, 
And that's fun. But the one thing we do stress, and I'm very serious about this, is that we never uh, – we're, we're very careful to exercise. You don't drink and drive. I mean, that's just – don't be a dick. Don't drink and drive. Um, that's not cool at all. So we, 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 call, uh, we call Uber one of our unofficial sponsors, and uh, the car portion and the drinking portion are two separate things. Now, you can eat and drive. That's, that's totally cool. You can do that. <laughs> Right. Well, you guys, you guys do a really great job of like, it, it's weird. Maybe I read too deep into things or maybe it's just purely by design. And I'm dopey enough to think that it's not, I guess, on the surface enough, but you guys really pair things well. And it's so <laughs> great because the guests, the location, the drinks, the cars, whatever you're eating at the time, it, it all ties so well together. And there's like all these weird sub themes working through the whole thing. I, well, thanks for noticing because we I do try and do that. Yeah. And well, because it's it's that there again, it's part of the marketing because you want to give someone you want to give them a whole entire kind of encapsulate everything so that they feel like, wow, man, I could do that. I could I could do what they just talked about on that show. And that's what I want them to feel like. Like, I mean, we're looking at things in the future as like Man Seeks Adventure Live. I want to do where like everybody who listens to the show meets us at some restaurant or bar and and it's like we actually hang out together and then we do a show. Have and, an impromptu um, live show kind of like uh, like Kevin Smith used to do with, uh, was it Hollywood Babylon, where they do their live shows. That would be bitching. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm because – I cut you well, off. Well, no, I, I want <laughs> you to get excited because cause it would. It, you know, because then people, they don't have to just – listen to it and it's not just electronic it's actually bringing the social aspect to life and people can experience because there's a lot of people that i've talked to that they go oh man you guys are so lucky you get to go to this place i go well that's why we tell you about it so you go wow well, you know i wouldn't want to just show up there i don't know if i you know i and and i think well like if we did like we did to that you know we just did a show where we we're at um pie dog in fullerton a very unassuming place, but it's got this really cool atmosphere, great craft beers, great food. And if we did something at a place like that, it'd be like people could feel like they came and and got to meet us and hang out and they get to meet other people. And, you know, then it becomes more of like a uh, Man Seeks Adventure Live where everybody there is their seek. That's their adventure, man. They're they're learning. They're finding out and they're going through an experience with us and and that's what we would like to do in the future and uh, if you'd like to sponsor those segments you can reach out to us so uh nicely done. But, and, uh, oh, I was gonna say, and where can they reach out to you well we'll make sure this sucker's right out in the open i'll get it on the website too yeah no they can uh uh for any of the podcasts they can just reach me at b fanshaw at bondspeedmedia.com and we do all the management for Man Seeks Adventure, Shift and Steer, Mike Brewer behind the wheel, all of them right there. Perfect. This, this phone number is also in the bathroom stall over here at the pilot truck stop, too. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew Just it was. I saw it at the Flying J. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my old number, though. You know, my new one you got <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, and then, and then, of course, we do Shift and Steer, where I brought – Aaron Hagar, Sammy Hagar's son. Uh, I tried to originally mash that show up where it was cross culture. You know, Pete Shaporis, 
and I were doing a radio show and I said, Pete, I want to get rid of the radio show and do a podcast. And he said, what's a podcast? And I said, trust me. And it worked with Boyd. So he trusted me and it, uh, you know, we, we never looked back. We, uh, we brought Aaron in because uh, he was the rat rod guy. We brought Pete in traditional hot rods, me, the muscle car and hot rod guy. And then Matt DeAndrea, uh, who I'd met through, uh, Adam Carolla and, uh, Matt, was the press car guy and the Fox body guy. And it just worked because everybody was coming from a different direction and everybody was enough different that, that it always kind of seemed to work. Now, when we lost Pete, that, that just sucked. Uh, and, uh, but the show keeps rolling. We keep having fun with it. And, um, you know, we do live show every year at SEMA. We'll be doing it again this year. We'll have a stage again. And, um, I, I'd announced where it was, but, uh, we're waiting on the contract. So, well, but, it was fun um, last year, you guys were in what the Magnaflow booth, Magnaflow. Yes. Mm-hmm. We had a big stage at Magnaflow and, uh, um, if everything goes right, uh, you'll be able to find us there too. But, um, you guys are what getting up on, you gotta be, you guys are almost 150 episodes deep. Uh, just, and steer. just did, uh, 149 today. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. And, Congratulations. And, uh, that's huge. Thank you. Yes, Thanks. congratulations. That's that's big. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun, you know, and it's um, uh, it's it's always, you know, a, a challenge, as you guys know, um, you know, and we've done a lot of shows with guests. We've done a lot of shows without guests, and uh, you know, just keep it moving. And then, and then, of course, the most recent show is Mike Brewer behind the wheel. Um, that I do with Mike Brewer from uh, Wheeler Dealers, and it's a totally different show. Have you guys had a chance to listen to that at all? I have. <laughs> it's awesome. Thanks. I, I enjoy and, the hell you know, out of it. It's Mike's show, and I'm just along for the ride, man. So, uh, and that's a great and, pairing too. You, you guys, there's, there's, it's a really good chemistry in that whole deal. That's really smart. Well, I'm good. To, I'm glad to hear that because it's. Uh, Cause you never know when you're doing it, you know, you kind of wonder, is this good or not? And, and, um, the hardest part with Mike is he's so darn busy with his show and now he's going to be doing another show that it's just hard to get in the studio, you know? And, uh, so we're a little infrequent there and, uh, you know, but we'll have more in the future. I think it's, uh, um, you know, we got people asking, when are you going to do another show? And uh, so we have fun doing it. And, um, and then we got a new one launching called Pod Five, and uh, <laughs> but uh, no, so so we're having fun, you know. I mean, um, I I love uh, I, I love you know the marketing and the branding and consulting other companies and getting involved there, and I love marketing you know my Bond Speed wheels and and uh, you know we you know we're 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 real happy that. We're one of the top wheel brands in the in the whole forged wheel market without, you know, spending the money that other companies do. It's all word of mouth. It's all um, Instagram and social media and and uh, things like that. So it's, um, you know, Bond Speed Wheels is is kind of a dynamo there um, without spending the money. We 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 practice what we preach there. Let me put it that way. We uh, we 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 do all the. The marketing kind of more low key. We build the brand through through our customer base, and uh, 
and, and don't have to spend tons of money to do it, to be one of the top companies. It's crazy. You know, it's, it's, as you're talking, it's like you have more irons in the fire than anybody I know. And so what is a, a day in the life of Brad Fanshawe? What, I mean, when you get up, are you automatically working? Do you ever get a, a break? I mean, yeah, I try to as much as, as I can. But, um, you know, I'm a workaholic. I mean, I'll, I'll admit that. And I'm always, even when I'm at home watching TV, I'm probably doing something or researching on my phone or, you know, um, but you know, it's, it's, I always, I always say it always sounds like my Facebook life. If my Facebook life was as great as it looks to everybody, man, I'd be the happiest guy in the world, but it's not all that crazy. I mean, cause you know, my watch company is, is not really active anymore because, um, the, the economy kind of put a halt to that when the economy went bad and we had spent so much money marketing it, I would have had to reinvest just to bring it back again. And I just wasn't up to doing that because it's uh, so much money to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's basically my media company and my wheel company. They're my main focus right now. And um, it is busy, constantly trying to pitch TV shows, constantly um, – trying to uh, keep the podcast out there and try and find sponsors and, and people that want to get involved. And, you know, we're, we're always like anybody trying to find that one corporate sponsor that goes, wow, we'd like to just underwrite your podcast and have you go to all these good guy shows and go to this and go to that. And, you know, but that didn't happen, you know, every once in a while it shows up, but you know, you got to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, be standing there with the sandwich board that says, hey, we produce the podcast that you need. And, you know, and, and you, you guys know that doesn't happen, you know. So um, but you're always waiting for what Boyd used to always say. Every time Boyd's cell phone would ring, he used to say, he'd look at me and go, this is the big one. Let's give me the big this one. The big one. <laughs> this is the big one. <laughs> and, and, and he would say that every single time. We'd be driving in the car. We'd be sitting at dinner. We'd be at a car show, and his phone would ring, and he'd, he'd, he'd grab it, and he'd go, this is the big one. This is the big one. He'd get a grin on his face. And and I honestly think he meant it, though. He thought that call was going to be the one that put us over the top, you know? So. Jeez. See, and that, that's that other good side, too. Always looking ahead, thinking, you know, you haven't made it yet, and, and keeping on striving to go better. That's. Right there, that's then you wrapped up the whole thing. We we could have uh, we could have been done with this like an hour ago and just gone. The trick is to never be satisfied. <laughs> I, I told a guy today. I was talking to a producer today, and uh, you asked about Man Six Adventure. I was talking to a producer out of New York, and he goes, he goes, can you kind of wrap up your career? Because he said what you guys said. You've done so much. You've had you know. And I said, and I said, dude, I'm going to tell you, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I said, I said. Just call it Brad Fanshawe. I'm lucky. I said, because I said, and it's not everything I've done. It's all the cool people, talented people that I've got to work with and all of the great things that I've got to be involved in. I mean, because, you know, I think about it all the time. If I hadn't met the guy who founded Vision, I would have never been part of skateboard and snowboard history and entertainment history and you know all that 
And then if I hadn't met him, I wouldn't have met Boyd. And Boyd wouldn't, and I would have never done all those things. And then if I hadn't met, you know, I can just keep going down that list. And so it's, it's, it's not about what I've done. It's about the people I've met that have allowed me to be fortunate enough to do all that cool stuff. That's outstanding. And I, I like the fact too, that you, you're humble. You remember that much. You know, you, you never forget all the people that came together to make those things happen. And I think that is so important. And I really think it, it comes what across. What was your name again? Exactly. <laughs> my, my name is Doug. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch a show to you right now. It's going to be called Doug Gets Lucky. There oh, we yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> Doug rub, rubs elbows, right? And gets some of that luck. So, no, I mean, you know, the thing is, is it's it's hard to get real serious about it and stuff. And I like humor, but but that, that really is what it's down to. I mean, it, it, it's like I always used to tell people that would come up to me at Boyd's and they'd go, oh, my God, the cars that you and Boyd build are so incredible. I go, wait, 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 wait a minute. I say the little bit that I have to do with it. Now, the cars that I've built, I'll take full credit for it. But the cars that we built at Boyd's, there were guys that never, you never knew their first name that were the most talented craftsmen that built that stuff. And, 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 you know, and, and that's what I would tell them. I'd go, no, we got a whole team. It's not Boyd. It's not me. It's not Chip. It's not any single person. It's all those guys collaboratively that built it. And that's how everything is because, you know, um, it's just like your podcast. It takes your whole crew to get that thing done. And, um, and, um, and, and, you know, if it's Holly carburetors or if it's Barrett Jackson or it's SEMA show, it's always the team. Yeah. There's usually some face on it that, that, you know, you know, the face or whatever, but, um, it's like the lead singer in a band, you know, it's like that guy, he gets all the accolades and all the girls and, and all the endorsements, but without the bass player and the drummer, he's never going to be anything. And that's, that's how I look at everything. It's, it's the team and, and, uh, and it's also the people you hang out with. That's why I hang out with you guys. Cause you know, I mean, it's like, and, and I'm not just saying that I'm being serious. I mean, like when we got together at the last scene, it was like, I was so happy to see you guys the first day because it's like, it's like, you want to hang out with with people that are are your friends and that have common interests because man I've been around so many famous people and that and I've been lucky but you see the hanger honors the guys that if there was somebody a little bit more famous just around the corner they'd be hanging with them not with that guy and you don't want to hang out with people like that you want to hang out with people that you can you can bench race you can talk you can you can say Oh man, I lost fifty bucks in the slots, and my wife's gonna kill me. And they're not gonna, you know, tell everybody, you know, especially not your wife. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, um, but that's that's kind of how I look at things, guys. I mean, you know, and and I think that's what's so cool about the car industry is that I say it all the time. You can walk into a room in Monterey where there's guys that all own million dollar cars, fifty million dollar cars. And a hot rodder can walk in and not feel out of place because he can talk cars. And you can walk into some hot rod place and one of those guys can pull in in his Porsche RS. And if he's capable of talking cars, he's still going to have something in common with everybody. And that's the cool thing about the car world. Exactly. And 
And you'd mentioned, you know, getting together at SEMA last year. I want to say thanks again, because I know you were super busy and yet you, you took the time to, to hang out with us. Uh, you made us feel really welcome. I, I really appreciate that. And I think I um, no, no, I mean, Hey, it goes both ways. It's fun, you know? And, uh, if you guys snub me this year because I took over your whole podcast, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take it real personally. So, we would, oh come on, we would not do mental that. note. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, walk down this aisle. Here comes Brad Fanshawe. <laughs> Hard right. Yeah. <laughs> with his with his hangers on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's entourage. <laughs> <laughs> I could only wish. So, so but boy, uh, keep us. Posted though, as far as uh, where you'll be at the SEMA show this year, okay. so we can no, kind of get that out Let to you know. our fifteen listeners. Uh, I want to get that stuff out there, just so you know, because I, I enjoy I enjoy seeing someone else succeed, and obviously you're succeeding. I, I love seeing that, and I want people to if you, they haven't been listening to your podcasts, get the hell over there and listen to it. Cause it's really really good. And figure when Thank you're you. done with ours, you got what twenty two hours left in the day. <laughs> exactly. <enough. yeah. laughs> so, uh, hey, can I plug my Instagram? You can always you can plug anything you want. Well, well that sounded really dirty too. This, well, is, this is going sideways yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Hey, um, no. <laughs> if you want to follow me on Instagram and see everything I do uh, with my uh, podcast and get a little taste of that and what I'm out there doing, driving cars and building cars or whatever, I'm Bradley underscore Fanshawe on Instagram. And yes, I used to be Bond Speed Brad. And then I had this great idea that I was going to be Brad Fanshawe. And then somebody stole it. I let Bond Speed Brad go and I went to sign up for Brad and somebody stole it. So now I'm Bradley underscore Fanshawe. And if you want to follow me, I am Brad Fanshawe. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Overscore Brad. Overscore. <laughs> So, so I, so I sound very stuffy and official as Bradley Fanshawe, but it, uh, it, that's where you can find me. And I, I, I have a lot of fun, put it up. And if you are into photography or anything like that, you can also find me at photos by Fanshawe on Instagram. Awesome. So thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you, dude. Yeah, that was fun. I appreciate you you coming back around, you know, and I uh, I will do my damnedest to make sure uh, this sucker launches on Friday, as we always try to do. And I'll let you know. This way you can say, hey, go listen to this crap. No, like I, to. I no definitely send me a link and, and everything, and I'll, uh, I mean, I already follow you guys, but send me a link and I'll, um, and I'll, I'll put it all on my social media. I'll put it on Shift and Steer and Man Seeks Adventure and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, I'll be all self indulging and say, listen to Brad on there. So <laughs> the awesome. other Brad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we dug really deep. I found a uh, I, I talked to the manager of a uh, glamour shots that you went to back in 1987, and we have a great Aww. cover photo for you. The one at the mall. It's, it's, yeah, it's well, that one I know doesn't focus. exist. So hopefully you found a good one. But <laughs> with a flock of seagulls haircut, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now, now you will find some probably some good mullet shots somewhere. In the web, but uh, <laughs> well, this one, I had the full-on mullet, but uh, this one yeah, never has did... quite the soft focus. I can't tell if it's you with a mullet or Sybil Shepherd. So. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, oh. that, that, I remember that. <laughs> That's right. I, I don't know if you guys ever saw the shot that uh, I uh, it appeared somewhere. Somebody put it up, 
um, it was my wife and I, and we were sitting in my Ferrari and I had a, I had a black Ferrari 348 back in the Boyd days when everything was going huge. And, and I, and I was like, Oh, I got to get a Ferrari. So I got a Ferrari and then I put, do you remember those wheels that we, that we made that, uh, only had two spokes. I remember the car actually. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I never post any photos of that car because every photo I have of it, I'm sitting in it with this horrible, like mega mullet. And I'm like, and, <laughs> and I think it was, uh, I don't know, somebody, I can't remember who it was, but somebody found that photo and put it up and I was like, Oh dude. And he goes, dude, we had the best laugh. You had yeah. like the biggest mullet. And I go, yeah, I know. It was like the Hollywood mullet, you know, and I was Billy like, Ray oh. Cyrus mullet. <laughs> You know, and I think now I think, hey, the way I got my hair cut now, is that going to be like in 10 years? I'm going to be going, why did I have my hammer hair like that? You know? yeah. Why did I still have my mullet? Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm growing the mullet pack. Do you think I could grow it by SEMA? What do you think? I think you know, if you can't get hair extensions, what, I was going to say, we'll start a GoFundMe page and we'll get you the extensions. Yeah, we'll get you what you need. Man yeah. seeks extensions. Oh, this is <laughs> man seeks extensions. There you go. Uh, well, hair extensions. Uh, I think yeah. I was going to say. I think I saw yeah, yeah. that Let's make in that clear. Uh, Craigslist. So, <laughs> but uh, all right, all right, guys. Well, um, all right. Thanks thank again, you very man. much, all and right. uh, it was it was fun. Yes, it was. It thank always you. is, sir. I thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure having you on. Oh no, hey, anytime. And if you're ever in my area, stop by and say hi. Oh, that's that's our plan. We're gonna well, we're gonna do that. It's gonna be a Thursday night about like nine thirty. Yeah. <laughs> Trick or treat. Yeah. <laughs> no, no see, you, you come by on Saturdays like around eleven a.m. and that's when we're recording Man Six Adventure. We got the bar open. We got the, you know, that's when that's when you come by. No. So, oh, and the the worst is when we try and lay down two or three man seeks adventures in a day and and you can always tell the third one that we did (laughs) it starts out well it's like it's like i'm going okay well at the mall the other day and 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 rick here in my office he goes is dude that was a third show, wasn't it? I go, yeah, it was. How could you tell? He goes, how could I tell? You guys are like laughing hysterically. You don't make hardly any sense. And he goes, you keep losing your train of thought and you're slurring your words. And I go, oh, yeah, that happens because Heather keeps making all these drinks and we've got to drink them, you know. So, But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, seriously, though, anytime you want to stop by, just give a holler. Will do. All right, guys. All right, Brad. Well, thank, thank you. Sir. Talk to you later. Definitely right, have yeah. a great night. Thank all you right. again. Bye-bye. Bye. A big thanks again to our awesome guest tonight, Brad Fanshawe, for his time, uh, his insight, and some of the great stories that uh, I, know, I, I don't think I've ever heard before. Um, I, I'd like to think uh, we packed a lot of living into a couple hours here. I, I'm good. I mean, he covered, was, he covered a yeah. lot of really good stuff. That was, he did. That was quite insightful in a whole lot of areas. Yeah, I, th- I think there are a lot of things about him that most folks who listen to his shows don't know. And I thought it was uh, really fun to kind of dig into that side of him. It, it, it was cool. I enjoyed it. Definitely. And uh, like I said, once we know uh, where they'll be with the um, the Shift and Steer podcast at the SEMA show, we'll get that information out to you guys. That's kind of a fun deal. Hang out there, watch them record live. 
Um, and uh, heck, we'll let you know where the heck we'll be at the SEMA show. But we'll be talking to you hopefully before then. Let's just stop listening. Then we'll, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have all the information for uh, Brad's many shows and social accounts and whatnot for you guys on the website. And uh, hey, thanks again for listening. Um, as always, uh, coming out of this one, a slightly better Brian. <laughs> a, a much more learned bread and still the same Alex <laughs> there we go I couldn't okay. top that I just had to, I had to lay down man I was done <laughs> like nobody's going to rub your belly for that one man. no no Thanks again for listening, and be sure to keep up with us gearheads over on our website at www.round6pod.com. And if you'd like to, we invite you to follow along with us over on Facebook, Instagram, and be sure to check out all of our latest videos on youtube.com. <laughs>